beginning of 1984 was a busy time for the Blessed Virgin. As the Soviet gerontocracy disintegrated, the Pope prayed to her daily for the conversion of Russia. In Poland, her placards had appeared again on the gantries of the shipyards at Gdansk. Maronite Christians in Lebanon wore plastic rosaries while they planted cluster bombs. And in Salvador, her miraculous medals identified the skeletons of catechumens in shallow graves. In Lourdes, candle wax dribbled on the laps of the handicapped who had traveled through the night in the hope of serum or a sign from heaven. Here it is. It was after Christmas. It was before Easter. It was around Ash Wednesday. None of us are certain anymore. All over the world, known and unknowable. The drama of the Epiphany, the oldest feast day in the Christian faith, had celebrated a terrified teenage mother who squeezed out a baby in a grotto full of silage and cow shit and had commemorated as well the three trendy establishment types who followed their long-haired star to discover history's horoscope and who were probably aghast at having gate-crashed instead the lice and afterbirth of a place called Bedlam. In loving memory of Anne Lovett, Main Street, Granard, died 31st January 1984, aged 15 years, with her infant baby. At the time, I was working in the Sunday Tribune as a general reporter, and uh, it was a Saturday, and on that day, you just took your orders from the news editor, whatever stories of the day um, uh, were allotted to you. And at some stage, I think it was in the early afternoon, but I can't be certain of this, Brian Trench, who was the news editor at the time, took a phone call and it was an anonymous caller who told him that a young girl from Granard had died earlier that week while, while giving birth to a baby. The caller didn't give any more details. So Brian Trench asked me to check it out. So the first thing I did was I went to into the little library that we had and looked at the file of newspapers for that week and I looked at the deaths column for the Irish Independent and there I found the death and, uh, and love it. So then we had to decide, to decide how, how to write the story and the big question on everybody's minds was... Uh, whether we would actually name her. I remember we all sat around and at various points in the afternoon her name was, was literally on the page that was being made up and then at other times it was, it was taken off. But I think the argument that, that clinched it, and it was one that I made and it was one that, that Maggie O'Kane, who was then uh, working in, in the Tribune and who I worked closely with, uh, made, which was that nobody was going to remember the death of an anonymous girl, but everybody would always remember the death of Anne Lovett. My heart is so sad for poor little Anne Lovett and her baby. I know Our Lady took them both to heaven in her arms. There's a particular case, though, which always remains in my mind. 
It was 1940. Mary was an agricultural working girl, known then as a servant girl, employed by a farmer in this area. Like all her equals, she worked about 12 or 13 hours a day, beginning at six o'clock in the morning. There was no tap water. There were no hoovers or washing machines. Mary became pregnant, like so many of these poor agricultural slaves. Her lover was a married man from a nearby village, the father of nine children. She was 28 years of age, a beautiful singer, and always in good humour. She was able to hide her pregnancy till about the seventh month, when one day the farmer's wife confronted her. Mary denied everything. Her employer didn't really believe her, but since Mary couldn't be replaced easily, a blind eye was turned to the situation. Mary continued in her work. Did I read the young fellow used to be a boyfriend? Oh, really? Yeah. Will you talk yeah. to me about them? Hey? Will you talk to me about them now? She wouldn't be right, would I? I didn't talk the last time. Tell Tony if you want them. Would you talk now? Actually, I know the family well. There's the man there that found them. Found her. You don't want them here? Miss Marty, I'm making a documentary about Anne Lovett. Could you tell me about how you feel about it now? I want to forget all about it. Poor That was the deal. It was him that found her. I don't think anyone will talk about it now, though. Why is that? It's this one. 11, 12 years ago. No. Even her boyfriend didn't know. I don't think anyone will mention anything about them somehow. Because people got a bad name from the papers before. So it wouldn't help her and that, but she was all lies. Do people still remember her, Mm, I don't know. Supposed to want to forget. Of course, she's remembered. Ask that man there, see what he says again. I'll ask him. I grew up in a town like yours, where everyone knew everyone and everything. For me, the thing to do, the great escape, was walk the white line of the main street late at night, from end to end. If no cars came, I knew I was far from where I ought to be. For you, the game was different. We all have games. Let no one tell you otherwise. My game was a kind of dream, but I never knew if I wanted it to come true. I grew up in a town like yours where the wind blew in from the countryside and smelled of hope but words cut hope. It doesn't take too many words, just the wrong ones or the right ones, depending on your point of view. Words on the street corner, the kind you think you understand. Words at the end of the road when you're not quite out of hearing. Words in hallways whispered so the kids are not supposed to hear. 
Words in shops caught in the lunch hour break. Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Hear what? Did you hear? Hear what? You won't believe. Words we want to run from, but there's no escape. Which nobody felt good about. Those things, I suppose, like we don't know an awful lot about, we don't live down there, you know? Nothing really I could tell you about. Did you know the girl? I just knew her to see her going to school, that's all. I didn't know the family really at all, you know? And did people know she was pregnant around here? Well, I haven't a clue. I wouldn't comment on any of it because I wouldn't get myself into trouble with anybody. Do you think you get into trouble with people well, if you well, comment like on it? It's, it's a very sore subject around where people just want to know about Why not? You've no comment to make on anyway. Okay, thank you. When I drove to Granite, it was clear that it was just on the surface an ordinary country town. It had a church dominating it, which uh, was probably built on the pagan site, on a sacrificial site. And that had its resonances later on. Uh, Emily O'Reilly's piece in the Tribune had been on the Sunday. I think I was down there on the Tuesday. And eventually I went up to the grotto and I could see that the local teenagers uh, had used part of it as a kind of sit-down, as teenagers will sit around and talk about anything because there were signs of whatever, coke tins, that type of thing, packet of crisps and so on. For whatever reason, uh, she went in there and uh, with the scissors, uh, she, uh, and uh, crying and in tears and distress, she cut the umbilical cord and lay down and she bled and she didn't have any energy. And by the time the help got to her, um, she could just about make out uh, human figures. She could just about open her eyes, but her eyes closed again, I was told. And she was losing blood and she was, um, she was dying. Anyway, having established that that is what happened, I then was down in the hotel with the uh, journalists and, you know, on a marking like that, you, you're really trying to establish that you've got it right and you keep running it past your colleagues and you give them a bit of information, they give you a bit of information, that's how the job's done. And while we were doing that, a man at the bar who had been drinking and looking at us uh, came over. And I have to censor my language now um, because what he said to us was that we journalists could get the so-and-so out of that town, that we were effing parasites and whatever. And the sooner showers of effers like us effing, etc., etc., were got out of this country, then the country could get back to being normal. <clears throat> he had a pair of Wellingtons on, he had a ruddy red face and drink. And he said, no effing way would an effing daughter of his have to go up by the fuck Christ, etc. And if he found his effing daughter pregnant, he'd give her such a effing root up the arse that she wouldn't do it again. Uh, an appalling thing had happened. Uh, and Lovett became a martyr for her generation. She exposed the duplicity that anybody who grew up in rural or provincial Ireland knew was a fact of life. And the guy who gave us this bullying tirade with his face ruddy with drink and anger did so under a portrait of Michael Collins, that kind of 
hand-tinted portrait, you know, upon which the state was built because Michael Collins had courted Kitty Kiernan in the Granite Arms or whatever was the name of the hotel where this fellow was carrying on, where we'd all met. And uh, in a way, the Kitty Kiernan was the model for Irish women of what they might aspire to. Uh, yeah, the whole thing was just so fused with images of duplicity and layers of uh, deception. Here was a man who had died in the prime of his youth, held up as a national hero, you know, and Kitty Kiernan, he's kind of Gaelic girl, you know. And what was the society he had died for and what was the inheritance that all of them had left? except the young girl who went up the hill to cut her umbilical cord with a, a rusty scissors. I grew up in a town like yours, and I knew the need to prove myself. But for me, it was easy. I just bundled up my soul and kept it to myself. You put your soul, more than your soul, your life and soul, on the line, said, here, this is me, and this is what I am. I knew other kids like you, I remember them, no heroics, kids who knew nothing and in some way knew it all. But for me, it was easy, I see that now. Well, um the town first of all got bad publicity about it anyway for a start off. And um, it's difficult to say really, like, you know, like, but everybody seems to be harping upon it, like, you know, and taking advantage of it. It's something good happened, like, it happens, it happens to a good many people, besides people in front of it, like, we get publicity offered the wrong way. So I wouldn't have any, any more comment to make on this. No, I'm all right. Thank you. We're going to I went down to a few days later, which would be to prepare a story for the following uh, week's paper. By this time, a lot of other newspapers obviously had gone down, and I think RT had gone down as well, and I think the Today Tonight team had gone down. And I remember going down on the bus and coming into Granard, and it was a, still is, I suppose, a bleak, tiny little town, and I was terrified. I, I hated ever doing stories like that, having to knock on doors and talk to people about things which you didn't have to be a genius to know they did not want to talk about. So then it was a case of taking your courage in both hands and going out in the town and literally, you know, going into shops or stopping people on the street. And um, we got short shrift from everybody. I mean, in one shop there was a young girl whom I reckoned would be about the same age as Anne and almost certainly knew her and started to talk to her and I was berated by the by the shopkeeper how dare I but I remember then sitting one evening in, in the hotel and the man who owned the hotel at the time was there and some other man I'm not sure whether he was a doctor but he was a professional man I can't even remember his name now and the two of them then started to talk uh, about her and about and really confirm that of course, people in the town had known that she was pregnant, and it became clear from that that there had been some sort of cover-up, perhaps out of the best of motives. But nobody ever knew whether, if the parents knew whether 
you know, the local doctor had been consulted, whether Anne had ever received any medical attention throughout her pregnancy, whether the nuns, whether the school had tried to intervene, you know, whether anybody really had sought to help this girl or whether it was simply a case of knowing about it, whispering about it, but making assumptions that the family, of course, must be looking after her. It's an unfortunate incident that was. Yeah. It just goes to show the, 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 what happens in this society nowadays. You know, typical of Ireland, like really. Uh, I suppose a lot of it was, uh, a lot of it was pure ignorance. I'd say, you know, people not want to know, not know proper facilities for anybody that was getting into trouble like that. You know. Were you living here at the time? Oh, I was, yeah. I was Did living you know Anne Well, I didn't know her as such. Nor to see. I never knew her personally. No, I know her family all right. Would family people place. have known she was pregnant at the time? I suppose her schoolmates probably know. Or some of them probably know. You know, like she was going to school at that time. Uh, have, some of them, some of her close friends must have known. You know, but uh, it's amazing how they couldn't go and get help for her. You know, or herself. I don't know what what really, why it really ended like that. Tell me, why are people round Granite so reluctant to talk about and love it? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I don't really know, to be honest. I don't know. Is that what you experienced? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Can't have, honestly answer you that. I don't know, really. I, can't, I just can't say. You know, it was a very unfortunate incident. Very unfortunate. You know, for somebody having to lose their life over it. Is it something that people in the town still think about a lot, or not really? Not really. I don't think so now. I don't hear anyone talking about it now. No, no. How many years ago was that now, anyway? I forget myself. <laughs> tell you the it's truth. 11 years. Is it 11 years? Oh, there you are now. <gasps> As I remember it now, the story broke on Sunday. It was, um, I think it was in the newspaper, and... Uh, I went into Today Tonight, I was a producer in Today Tonight at the time, and um, Joe Mulholland, who's the editor, we have a meeting on Monday mornings. Uh, this one was, obviously everybody was talking about the Anne Lovett story, which had, which was now general knowledge. And he said, uh, as he assigned various producers to various jobs, he asked me, he said, Tish, will you go down to Granard and do, you know, see what you can do on the Anne Lovett story. One of the key issues, as I saw it at the time, was did the school know had they any knowledge or what was the situation about knowing that Anne Lovett was pregnant and had anything been done to for her in any way by the school it was obvious that other people knew and had done or not done what they should have done but the school we felt was you know where she was a pupil they had some responsibility towards her. And to that end, uh, I had phoned the, the school and got uh, an appointment to see the principal. Uh, I didn't ask her to do the interview there and then. She said she would have to reflect on the request and also speak to other members of the order. And the outcome of that was, yes, I got 
uh, a phone call from her or I phoned her and she agreed that she would make a statement to the television or for television uh, at a s half past 11, I think it was, uh, but that and that all of the teachers from the school would be there with her when she made it. She wouldn't be on her own. And so we arrived at half 11 and we set up our camera and uh, she sat down. She was surrounded by all the teachers. Um, we took a couple of shots of, of what we call establishing shots. And there we were. And I cued her to make to begin her her statement. It is difficult to find words to express how the staff feels on this sad and tragic occasion. The normal thing would be that you would start with a wide shot and on this cue I would just indicate to the cameraman to zoom in and he would zoom into a close-up of the speaker. But a, a really strange thing, when I tipped the cameraman to zoom in to a close-up of her, he turned around after a second or two and he showed me that the handle for zooming in had fallen off the camera, become unwound as it were from it and he couldn't zoom in. And I thought, well, I can't ask her to make the statement again because this was, it was huge for her. So I, I brought it back then and we developed the, the film and all that and put it on the editing bench and I was looking at it and I realised that what had happened actually was very interesting because what it showed was that there she was making the statement with all the teachers. She wasn't isolated by zooming into her. All the teachers were left in the shot, or most of the teachers were left in the shot, and this collective responsibility was established by doing that. The girl was nine months pregnant in school. Whether she was behaving normally or not, somebody should have done something. Somebody did know. A lot of people did nothing. only you had lived to see our holiday homes brighten the emigrant villages and the heritage centers rise in the ruins of factories, you would have been motivated. If only you had seen the lives and loving kindness of our pro-consular class and our conference delegates, you would have been empowered. Instead, your bits and pieces are dispersed among us like a saint's relics, eye socket and breastbone, the pointing, petrified fingers of the martyrs in our altar stones. All of us have designs on you. All of us want you for our church, our shrine. The plaster saints of the new enlightenment, we mobilize at your grotto with our stone bouquets 
our soda-siphoned tears, our alternating halos. We want you to tell us that our enemies are wrong, that our demonology is an ideology, that our ideology is an ideal, that our ideal is love of everything that moves, or at least of everything that moves us. We demand, in short, that if you will not say what you mean, you shall mean what we say. Let us pray together. In the birth of our Lady, we see the Father's plan for the world's redemption entering its final stage. We pray for all who are sick or suffering, for all who have any cares or distractions or worries on their minds, that the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit will be with them to help them face the crisis of life. Lord, I would like to comment on it now. Why not? Um, I think it's over and done with at the moment, but I think it's unfortunate circumstances like, and I think the thing is, it's over and there some years ago, I think it should be left as at that. You know, I think the person has died and that is it, and it's a tragic circumstances, and I hope now we never can endure what we went through again, you know. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about it at the time it happened? Uh, dismayed and very upset. I think more so for the family and for herself, you know what I mean, for those involved with her. But uh, even at the latter days, even at this moment, it still affects people, you know what I mean? We still have, have people coming around like... Hello, my name's Lauren I. Harris. I'm a radio producer from RTE. I'm making a documentary about Anne Lovett. I was wondering if you'd like to tell no, me sorry, sorry. how you felt about no, it. I don't, honestly. Thank you. Adults didn't want to talk to us very much, except those who genuinely cared, I think. Um, and the young people, uh, her own friends were being kept indoors or had disappeared. I went and, and met a group of them somewhere, but it was under very strained conditions. And they, they were not talking. But there was awful tensions in the town between their generation and their parents. They were being blamed for it, you see. They were being blamed, you know, for bringing the spotlight on the town, on the poverty of the town, on the dysfunctional families, but in many ways I don't think that town was any more dysfunctional or any more poor than any other part of Ireland. But you certainly got this valley of the squinting window sense about the town. If you walked down the town you felt you were being watched. A day or two before Good Friday that year, it was potato setting day. All these potatoes were sown by hand, which meant everybody helped, including Mary. Mary rushed into the house just before dinner to give the final help to serving up the meal to all the others. She had none herself, and she said she had a headache. She then cleaned and washed up after the meal, and then asked for an hour or two off to go to bed with this blinding headache. Mary got the permission. After about an hour, Mary's employer called to her bedroom door, which was locked. Mary assured her that she was much better and that she'd be up shortly. After about another hour, 
the house was filled with the screams of a new baby. The employer went to the garden for her husband. He set off for Mary's house a few miles away and brought back her elderly father. Disaster, really, that happened. Like that she didn't, that somebody didn't know that there was something, you know, that she was pregnant at the time. That even, well, neighbours or somebody, friends, didn't go and tell their mum and dad or mum and dad that you there was something wrong with her, you know. To see that such a young life was taken away so sudden. Did you know her at all? No, I didn't. I was just at the coming to Granard that time. You know, it just put you, you know, when you think of it, when you have children of your own, and think, like, she's gone, and that's, and the baby, and all, the way it happened, left out in the snow, and went back to Grotto. It's just a disaster. Do people talk about her much around here now? No, not, no. That's right, dead. Kind of want to forget, really, what happened. Bringing it back up, brings back up all the memories again, you know. But she was, she, she was pure little innocent girl, really innocent girl. That happened. That's all I can say. But it, it, it was one disaster for Granard. It's a black mark, really, that happened. I mean, Granard is a good place to live. It's just that it's something that did happen in it. And I think we shouldn't be kept down like Granard, Granard. You know, or what happened in Granard at that time. You know, everybody seemed, everybody is okay in Granard. Like, it's not just what happened in Granard, well, it's the people of Granard. No, not really. I grew up in a town like yours, but I was lucky. I grew up, and that's the difference. Grew up and saw it for all it was, both sides. And seeing it, I realize I know nothing of your life. How could I? A town like yours, but not your life. I'm on the inside looking out and terrified I'll catch your eye. The only things I recognize are the things that skirted both our lives. The flat rain on empty streets, soft sun at the end of a summer field, September fog on the way to school, dreams of music, whispered words. But instead, the words pepper like forked times, prodding holes in our days until there's nothing left but flat rain on footpaths, the sun gone, no songs, hard words, nothing but the moon, and the moon is hard. There's no shelter from the moon. My name's Laura Lighthouse. I'm a radio producer from RTE. I'm making a documentary about Anne Lovett. We're Why not interested. Good, bad, or indifferent. Right? <coughs> Goodbye. That's what you were up to for with the cameras in the chapel this morning, too. Yeah, I saw one of your representatives on one occasion when there was the death in the Lovett family. And they actually went into the morgue and photographed the child in, in the coffin. Now, fuck off. 
Well, I look back at it, and it was certainly something that had, you know, great resonance myself. As I said, I had three young, I had three teenage children myself. I was acutely aware of, they were they were at school, and and I thought, my God, what would I do if this happened to me? How would I? What would I do? What would my response be to my own any one of my children coming home being pregnant? And it was always something I was thinking of. What would I do? How would I cope? What would I do? Where would I bring them to? Where would I get help? How would I? explain to them what had happened to them. How would I deal with it? How would, how would I feel about being in a, a labour ward with my own young daughter having a baby? I, I found that a really gruelling thought at the time. And I was, I was also very disturbed at the time about the whole reaction in Granard. Here was small town Ireland at its very worst, denying it denying what had happened to this girl. The most poignant picture you could imagine of a young girl dying in a grotto with her baby. And they were denying it. There was no compassion that I found, none. Denial, people frightened, people were frightened to talk to us. Oh, I didn't know the girl at all. Were you living in Granada at the time? Yeah. Do you remember what you thought at the time? No, I don't remember. I didn't know the girl at all. I don't know anything about her. Do you remember what happened to her? No, I don't know. You've heard of Anne Lovett? Yeah, just heard, like, but that's all I heard. Just heard about her. No. Sorry, that's all I can tell you. I didn't know her at all. All right? No, Thank no. you. Okay. And I'll always remember one of the things that struck me subsequently about it was that I never knew what Anne looked like. I knew somebody told me that she was very artistic. Um, and I got the impression that she was quite a spiky little girl and probably full of fun. Um, perhaps difficult, I don't know. But somebody who was artistic. Um, but beyond that, I never found out anything about her. And to this day, don't know what she, what she looked like. Well, I knew Anne Lovett. She was about, I knew her for about two years when they moved to the town here. She's a nice girl, quiet, and she hang around with everyone in the town and an ordinary person. The death came as a shock on the babies and I'm sure people in the town knew she was that way. And especially where she had the baby. In such a small town, such a small community where people should help one another. And a lot of people knew she was pregnant, but no one seemed to reach out to her. Why do you think that was? Probably of the father. If the person had to be a different father, she probably would have got more help. What do you mean? In the area that he lived in would be, would be blackened, so no one would kind of want to help her. But the people up there would have helped her, because a lot of them has experience of delivering babies, because from that area people are old and they had to deliver their own babies, and she would have got plenty of help. 
She could have been alive today. How did you feel when you heard that she died? Well, I felt shocked. Especially at the reaction of the family and the people in the town. That they wanted it all hushed up and covered and done away with. Just sick in you. That's about it. Why do you think they wanted it sort of that hushed up? I mean, was there no concern? Because it being a small town and the uh, papers and the medias and all those coming in, crowding and crowding and crowding, they just didn't. They weren't prepared for it, and they're a kind of a, a low-living people. They, they kind of hang their head down before they say hello to you. Or walk on top of you before they lift you up, some of them, this town, so I've lived in this town all my life. I don't care about anyone in it. I grew up in a town like yours, but I got another chance. And I might have been the one muttering in the doorway, or I might have been the one, I might have been. I grew up in a town like yours. It was as close as that, no closer. I grew up in a town like yours, and I thought that was enough, but of course, it never is. When they got back, Mary still had the door locked, and after they forced it open, she denied everything. They searched the room and found a little baby boy, choked by a stocking and packed with her clothes and her case. This father walked his daughter home and carried the case in which later that night, the baby was buried in the nearby graveyard. Mary returned to her work after two days. I can assure you she got no sympathy or concession. She kept her aches to herself. After two or three weeks, Mary had to visit a doctor. She was sent to the county home hospital for treatment, as her breasts were almost rotted, the doctor said. She again returned to her job after her discharge from hospital. Mary worked from dawn to dusk. Her distress, her broken heart were hidden inside her. She got no help or care. It didn't exist then. And uh, a couple of years afterwards, uh, one of the daily papers asked me to go down and, if you like, re redo the whole thing, look at it again, see how the place was. And I set off uh, and um, I walked around the town. And when I saw the amount of bodies that were up in Ann Lovett's grave, uh, I, I just walked away. I couldn't do the story. I told the editor, and it would be a very unusual thing for me to say. I said to the editor, look, I can't do this story. I don't want to do this story. I feel I've done enough harm to that family and I don't want anything more to do with it. I don't feel I should apologise to them because they were caught in the crossfire of the trauma that was going on in this country between the political establishment on the one hand, the media on the other, between the evolution of this country with all its self-deceptions on the one hand and the media trying to come to terms and expose them on the other. So I can't stand up in public and say I apologise while at the same time feeling, feeling um, concerned and humble for the family. I don't know if you can understand that. And I would say, if it's any consolation to anybody, I would say Anne Lovett is a kind of, uh, she's a modern saint. I would say that in a country that likes to think it knows what saints are about. She's both a modern martyr 
and a modern saint. Russia goes on, going on is what it does best. Salvador is not in the news. Lebanon is Lebanon, or at any rate, Lebanese. Sick pilgrims lie akimbo in the basilica. Up in my attic, the Christmas crib hides like a Jewish family during a pogrom. There's a broken snorkel in it full of fake straw and rat killer the color of lip gloss. The baby Jesus has the face of a beautiful blonde teenager. The mother's cheeks are chipped. The shepherd's staff is broken. Joseph the Just, who had once resolved to send the girl away quickly and quietly, kneels in the light bulbs that may or may not work in the darkest days of the year. And over there, away in a corner, is myself in triplicate. The three wise kings, like the three wise monkeys. Their profiles in literary limelight. Their laptops brimful of sonatas and manifestos. Their manicured fingertips displaying stupid bloody presents, mirror and frankincense to a woman with her lips in tatters. 